and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. So I'm really excited about our guest on the Path 11 podcast today. I have Marie Jones, who is the best-selling author of over 15 nonfiction books on the paranormal, ancient knowledge, unknown mysteries, UFOs, and cutting-edge science. She has appeared on the Histories Channel, Nostradamus Effect, and Ancient Aliens television series. I love the Ancient Aliens, by the way. Uh, A formal radio show host herself. She has been interviewed on over 2,000 radio shows worldwide, including Coast to Coast AM and in dozens of print and online publications. Marie has published hundreds of blogs, guest blogs, articles, essays, and reviews, and formerly served as a staff blogger for the Paranormal Brain Trust and is a regular contributor to Intrepid Magazine, New Dawn Magazine, Paranormal Underground, Paranoia Magazine, Atlantis Rising, and Fate Magazine. This is a busy woman. She is also an option screenwriter and is currently developing the Maybelline Cosmetics Empire Family Story for television, as well as numerous other projects under her production company, Where's Lucy Productions. So, Marie, welcome to the Path 11 Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah, you are a busy girl. <laughs> well, I have been accused of, of workaholism, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> all right. Well, before we brought you on the show, you know, I all of the books that you have written, I know that you've um, written a few with Larry Flaxman. I mean, stuff about the 1111 um, time prompt phenomenon. You've written about deja vu, mind wars, archetypes. I'm just kind of hoping that we can sit down today and have a discussion about maybe any and all of it. And really where I would like to go to is what you're most passionate about in life right now, because you have covered so many different topics in so many different areas. You're doing so many different things, but I want to talk about what you really love and are passionate about. So I'm hoping our our conversation can go there. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure it'll end up there. Yeah. (laughs) You know, yeah, the nonfiction books have been great. And I think I'm working on one. I have two more lined up. And I think that that'll be 20 or 21. And uh, it's like, I need a vacation. That's what I need. (laughs) Yeah. So for some of our um, listeners, maybe who we might be introducing you to them for the very first time, why don't you just kind of give the overall background on what got you into all of this? What is your story? How did your path lead you to where you are today? Well, it's interesting. So I've been writing since birth, pretty much. And and from what I hear, talking and yakking and telling stories and never shutting up. And I so I started writing. I wrote my first little book when I was five, which was about life on Mars. Um, didn't get published, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, I, I've just been writing all through my life. I was a journalism major, you know, the editor of my high school newspaper, blah, blah, blah. I started selling articles and movie reviews and things when I was a teenager. And my dream had always been to write fiction. I wanted to be a novelist. I wanted to be like Stephen King. And so I started out writing a lot of fiction. I sold short stories. 
I kind of got waylaid um, into writing screenplays. So I did that for a while. And about 15 years ago, I don't know why, I was just sitting around and thought, I really want to write a nonfiction book. I've never done that. And I did. And it got published. I think it sold five copies. But it was good enough to, um, it had you know some critical acclaim. And it got me my agent, Lisa Hagen, who has since gone on to, well, let's say I'm on my 20th book. So that kind of became the focus of everything that I was doing. And I'm just now in the last couple of years going back to fiction. I've got a couple of novels coming out and screenwriting. And, and really my love is to tell stories, but it's also to learn about things and tell people what I've learned. If I'm really excited about something, I will pitch it to my publisher. I love doing the research. And then I get all kind of giddy and excited about sharing that information, which is why I love writing nonfiction. You know, a lot of writers will say, oh, you need to focus on just doing one thing, like just nonfiction or just novels. And I think that that's true for some people, but it has not been the case for me. Um, I need to do whatever hits me at the time. And with the paranormal and the metaphysical and science, those are things that I have loved since childhood. So I, I kind of feel like I might be running out of some topics to write about, but I just really love to write about what gets me excited, whether it's nonfiction, a novel, or a screenplay. And I've actually just sold a short film that's going to be shot this month in L.A., uh, I wrote a short film script. So whatever I can get down on paper, you know, mm-hmm. I don't care what form it is, um, magazine articles, what have you. So I've just been writing forever. I've been involved in a million different things. And writing has been able to allow me to do that because I always have the writing as, um, you know, the, the thing that's going to let me express everything that I'm experiencing and learning. Yeah, and, you know, with with having that experience in so many different areas and so many different things, what would you say, um, you know, is there any book that you did or research that you did that really to this day um, was just really influential or blew you out of the water with with what you found? Um, and, oh, gosh. <laughs> I know, you're probably like all of it. But. Well, they, there, are, there is, but let me tell you, so my absolute favorite and the one that uh, has been considered groundbreaking in the paranormal field was my second book, but my first big breakout book. And that one has a long title. It's called Science, P-S-I-E-N-C-E, How New Discoveries in Quantum Physics and New Science May Explain the Existence of Paranormal Phenomena. I wanted to write that book for a long time, but my agent Lisa and I thought, well, we're never going to sell this because I don't have a PhD. You know, what am I doing writing about physics and and quantum physics and theoretical physics? But I had so much passion for it, and so did she, that we went ahead and pitched it anyway, and it got sold within three months. And I, my father was a geophysicist. He passed away a few years ago. So I had 
I, I sort of had a science-based upbringing, and I knew that I could turn to my dad for research, and, and he did, you know, talk to me about a lot of the things that I wrote about. My mom's real creative, so I had that side covered. <clears throat> but that book was so weird, just the synchronistic and sort of serendipitous way that everything fell together when we were being told that's never going to happen. You just, you don't have a platform. Nobody knows who you are. You're trying to write about science, you know, blah, blah, blah. Boom. The book was published. It is still on. So many people will contact me and say it's on the top of my list of books that have really just changed the way I look at the world. And, you know, I, I love that. And that was a long time ago. There's been a lot of books in between. So, yeah, but that's I think I think that was published back in 2006. Yeah, so yeah, has been. Yeah, that you know, 1111, the time prompt phenomenon was really fun too because that was the first book I did with a co-author. I actually also co-authored a book with my dad called Super Volcano. Um, with 1111, though, what's really cool is that was years ago, and my pub, one of my main publishing companies, New Page Books, was sold last year to Red Wheel Wiser Books, a you know huge, wonderful company, and they asked if we wanted to revise and re-release 1111 next year with new content. So that's going to be really fun because a lot of people loved that book because they were having those weird you know, time prompt experiences and seeing repeated number sequences. And I think for a lot of people, that was the first book that ever kind of really took it seriously. So, right. yeah. And that's how, you know, our production company kind of came uh, with the name Path 11, because we were experiencing when we were creating our documentaries, um, the 111, the 1111 right, time yeah. prompt, you know, when we got into numerology, we found out that Mike's uh, numerology number was an 11. I was uh, born at 111 p.m., <laughs> you know, like all of these different synchronicities. I love it. I just yeah. love that. You know, it's like there's something behind all this that yeah. hopefully has a good sense of humor. But, you know, it's just these patterns are just, you know, there is the scientific explanation that's really boring and mundane. And we did cover that because one thing that I will not do is uh, ever write a book that doesn't have an objective, balanced, you know, point of view. So the mundane, boring ex uh, explanation is that when your brain sees something more than once, it no obviously notices it. Oh, that's what a coincidence, you know. Oh, look at that. It's 11-11 again. That's the third time today. And then all of a sudden now your brain is going to be seeking out that pattern. And there's a part of the brain called the RAS, the reticular activating system, that literally that's the job of that part of the brain is to focus on things that are important to you and get rid of all of the bombardment of information that you have coming at your brain every day that really doesn't serve any purpose. You know, we're overwhelmed with information. We need some sort of filter. So you see a pattern, all of a sudden you're gonna start seeing it just like if you go buy a purple Hummer and you think I am gonna be the only one in my county, in my state <laughs> with a purple Hummer. <laughs> and you drive it home and you see 20 while you're on the freeway. 
you know, your brain is all of a sudden noticing something because it has become sort of front and center. Well, that's fine, but that doesn't explain the paranormal, the spiritual, the metaphysical things that people have reported that are associated with time prompts and the synchronicities that emerge. Uh, because really, when you see a time prompt, you're being brought back into the present moment. You're becoming aware of everything that you're probably sort of zoning out in the normal course of your day. And that's where you notice connections, synchronicities, you know, things that you wouldn't have noticed before because you were too stressed out about the presentation you have to give tomorrow or regretting something you did a week ago. So that was so overwhelming that um, it really led me, because I tend to be a little skeptical, a little more of a science mind, thanks to my dad. Uh, but that was really, really cool to see the stories that people were, were sending into, you know, on the internet and forums and people that we talked to, how they really, really felt that they were being given some kind of little poke and perhaps consciously didn't know the meaning of it, but subconsciously, I believe they certainly did. Right. Now, if we were to maybe delve into a little bit about the book that you mentioned about how quantum physics, some of the new discoveries in quantum physics, and how quantum physics can explain some of this paranormal phenomenon, can you um, kind of educate our listeners on that a little bit? Yes, and I'm really hoping that this will be the next book that Red Wheel will allow me to revise because so much since this book was written has changed. New theories, you know, new, right. new all kinds of goodies. But basically, I wanted to know if there was, you know, there's two worlds. There's the hidden reality and there's the physical manifest reality. And I had been doing a lot of reading um, F. David Pete and uh, David Baum and these great physicists who truly believe that there was a, a hidden implicate order to manifest reality. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. That sounds really religious and spiritual. <laughs> but they have the science to back it up. So with this book, it's very introductory because as I was learning all of this, I was writing about it, you know, and I and it was sort of like my unfoldment um, being put down on paper. But you have theories of interdimensional, uh, you know, other dimensions where they may be infinite in number. Now, you know, obviously, most of those would be so tiny and minuscule that there's no way that life could exist or, you know, anything could exist within them. But just the possibility that there are other dimensions of reality could one day open up the possibility that there is life in some of those other dimensions. Maybe life that is so um, different from anything we've ever imagined that it would appear like magic to us. Parallel universes and the idea that there, the multi-world theory, the idea that there may be other universes, other timelines either, where we might exist in many of them because they might be infinite in number. And could that explain things like deja vu? Could that explain people seeing their doppelganger? Could that explain remote viewing, psychic abilities, psi abilities? 
uh, if there is this parallel universe that we may have access to information in somehow. You know, some people say through the third eye or that consciousness is the link, whatever. That really fascinated me. Um, so, and, and then of course, the idea that consciousness is separate from the body and that there might actually be a universal consciousness, which kind of gets into information theory, the idea that the universe is a giant computer uh, it has, a, you know, like an intelligent design, not religious, more information-based. So all of that stuff really fascinated me. But I think the most fascinating for me was the idea that as soon as you start talking about the possibility of other levels of reality, and as soon as you hear people in the scientific field talking about that, uh, that opens the door for so many possibilities, not proof, Okay, there's no proof in this book, but just allowing that dialogue to begin. And one of the most um, mind-blowing things that I ever saw was it was uh, some paranormal or sort of in search of type show, <clears throat> one of the newer ones. And theoretical physicist Michio Kaku, who I am a huge fan of, was on the show literally saying they were talking about the Bermuda Triangle and the Devil's Triangle, these vortexes where ships and, and planes disappear and people vanish and are never seen again. And he actually said, we could be talking about possible Earth-based wormholes. Right. And I remember thinking, oh, <laughs> well, it's one thing if I go on TV and say that, but for this guy to say that, um, that's that's just a big wow. And, and you know, my dad, again, was a geophysicist. My dad was totally into UFOs, the paranormal, all of these anomalous mysteries, because as a scientist, they, I think more than anyone, want to know how that other level of reality might work. What are the mechanisms behind it? So when you hear people say, oh, science and the paranormal are always at odds with each other, well, that's not necessarily 100% true. It's just that they're approaching the subject matter from much different positions. And what are your thoughts about, um, you know, some of the, the new science coming out about, uh, like you were talking about, like the virtual reality, that we are in a virtual reality, um, that we're kind of like playing these avatars and oh, yeah, the Matrix. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it scares the crap out of me. <laughs> I hope I can say that. Um, it scares me just because it's like, oh, really? Wow. So so I'm in a, a video game, huh? But the funny thing is, it you know, there's the holographic theory, the idea that the reality that we see and exist within is projected from a higher dimensional plane. Okay, that's kind of creepy, too. Um, virtual reality, if you ever put on one of those, you know, things, the helmet things, that becomes as real to your brain as the reality that exists when you take that thing off. I don't know what it's called. And it's the same thing with dreams. If you notice while you're dreaming, you never question the reality unless you're lucid dreaming, but that's a whole different subject. Um, your brain takes your dreams as reality. 
And then you wake up and you think, oh my God, that was the weirdest dream. And now I'm back in waking reality. But we don't really know whether this is just waking reality or another reality that we experience in the course of a 24-hour period. You know, the, the dream state could be considered a different reality. When people have paranormal experiences, they may be getting glimpse, glimpses of other realities that we're not really meant to see for more than just a very brief period because our consciousness has to focus on the main reality that we need in order to function and live our lives. But I do believe that we are constantly getting little peaks and glimpses behind the veil of other levels of reality. Yeah, this stuff blows my mind too. And and I always think sometimes like, okay, if we are here, right, and we're on earth and we are in these physical bodies, but we are consciousness and we have all of these researchers, it's almost like we're we're trying to figure out a way to also get out of where we are. Right. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> and trying to explain it. And to me it almost seems like a tease because like, okay, maybe you do get a glimpse into a past life or a UFO sighting or a ghost and then it makes you question, you know, everything here. Um, um, it kind of like some of this stuff too, and covering it and talking about it can really take you out of the very human experience of just kind of going through some of the mundane things of what you do when you're a human being. But like to hold right. the concepts of both worlds or both realities is, it's just, I don't know. It's, it blows my mind. I, every yeah. day, but. <laughs> I know. And it, but you know, so there's a lot of different debates and arguments and theories as to why we're not allowed quote unquote to exist in, to be able to just at the snap of a finger, have a paranormal experience. And by that, I mean, it, it could be anything from remote viewing, which is the ability to see something happening at a distant location. And I mean, some people have that, that gift um, much stronger than others, just as some people can sing better than others. I think that we all have these abilities. I do think that our brains our brains are so limited, the, the construct, the structure of the brain is meant to not allow that to happen so that we can stay focused on the reality that we need to, you know, get our kids up and get them to school and go to work. However, I think those little glimpses of other realities keep us going through the mundane drudgery of life. They give us that grander, bigger sense that, you know, that my life does have meaning. And I feel like that today when the car is broken down and, you know, I'm late for work, but that there is something much bigger going on. And I think that that pulls a lot of people through the mundane, boring details of their day-to-day lives. Uh, you know, now you could get really religious or spiritual here and say, well, why are we here then? You know, if we're just a part of the matrix, if it's all pre-programmed, programmed, excuse me, if we're part of a, a, a giant computer where we're nothing more than little its and bits of information, what is the point? And that takes you into a much more spiritual metaphysical realm of trying to decide that your life has meaning beyond all that. Now, some people will just insist that, nope, Life is here for one reason, and that is to procreate and keep the species going. I don't know. I mean, I, I just don't buy into that because 
people have too many experiences to the contrary. Right. And even though they can't be proven, you know, you can't really apply the scientific method to them, it doesn't make them any less real. So it's almost like those little glimpses are a gift to us. So, you know, that as we're sitting in a doctor's office with our sick kid, we we just get that sense, that little peek that there's something behind all this. There's something really, really big and grand and it kind of takes us out of the <laughs> the drudgery of daily life, I guess you could say. And then, you know, the, then there are people like yogis who live in that presence all the time. I don't know if I'd want to do that. I don't right. want to go to an ashram and stay there, you know, and eat bland foods. Um, and I don't know. I, I, I don't know if we're ever going to have more than just glimpses of it. Maybe we're evolving to be able to be capable of handling that. But if you look around you at the behavior of humans all over the world, especially on social networking and things like that, when you see disagreements in what people believe, yeah, oh boy, then you wonder, you know, how far are we from really evolving to the point where we're going to be able to transcend our, our bodies, our physicality, uh, what are the benefits? What are the pros and cons? You know, <laughs> right. So I'm not sure we're quite there yet, but I think a lot of people individually are trying to get to that point. Yeah, and I think you know, getting those glimpses almost even shows the intelligence of whatever this maybe consciousness system is, right? So, so it does give a person a glimpse. It makes them at least question their existence and is there a purpose? Am I? There's something more to this than I'm just living to die or living to procreate and then it's all exactly. over because people exactly. can lose hope. And I have to say, I don't think even even some of my um, maybe friends or people that I've worked with or other people that have just a different way to look at this um, that might be more black and white, like, yep, we live and then we die. But I have yet to meet one person that has never, ever had some sort of paranormal experience or something that made them go, that was really weird and I can't explain it. <laughs> right, exactly. But a lot of times, boy, will they just brush it under the rug or, or not speak about it. It's cognitive dissonance. It goes against everything that they believe, and yet it happened. Um, right. And I think I used to do that, too. <laughs> but, yeah, and I think that's a human, uh, you know, sort of a natural thing with human behavior is when something happens that goes against your ideology, you're going to hang on to your ideology until the point where you can't really deny what happened to you anymore. Right. You know, I, I, I just I, I think when a lot of people get closer to death, maybe as they age or if something happens they have a car accident and they almost die when all of a sudden everything comes into sharp focus that's kind of when a lot of people realize oh wow you know there's more to this than than just my body and, and but why do we have to be shocked into it mm -hmm. it would be nice if we could just meditate for 20 minutes and oh okay yes i exist in five other universes right now where i'm you know, I weigh a lot less or I'm a lot more successful and I look like Angelina Jolie or whatever. Okay. Um, but, but then I think if we had too much of that, we would be so scatterbrained. We would lack focus. We would lack the ability to function in 
this life that we've been dropped into for whatever reason. Now, let's say maybe we do agree that, you know, we're conscious this year in this human vehicle and, and body to try to evolve, to evolve our planet. And, you know, I know that your recent book is actually talking about how to survive natural disasters and, you know, <laughs> how to be prepared for that. And, you know, sometimes it can kind of feel like, oh, my God, like you said, is our world really going to make it? Is is our humanity still intact? Um, but, you know, in writing that book, too, I'm just curious to know what are some of your spiritual thoughts on some of the stuff that's happening on the planet or, you know, what also motivated to you to actually want to write the the, the the disaster survival guide, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that um, came out of left field because that has nothing to do with 99% of what I write about, but I have been, um, I used to live in Los Angeles and I worked at Warner Brothers Records and the Warner Brothers were very much into emergency preparedness and they had a program with Burbank Police and Fire that uh, for employees of on the Warner lot, Warner Studios, Warner Films, what have you, could take for free. And I thought, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, I want to know. You know, I'd been through a few big earthquakes up there. So I started training. I came to San Diego, and I started training with uh, CERT, which is Community Emergency Response Teams. And that, that training is through FEMA. It's overseen by the Department of Homeland Security. It's free. It's, you know, major intensive training in just about everything you can think of. I took Red Cross training. I have an amateur radio license, but I'll tell you two reasons why that became so important to me. One, the Northridge earthquake, I was living in Burbank, and my husband at the time, we're divorced now, but we really thought we were going to die. And we actually said goodbye to each other during the shaking. That's how bad it was. And we both suffered major PTSD. I mean, have to go to therapy, PTSD, after that. The second one was having my child. And my son had a major disability. And he's, you know, able to walk now and doing really well. But I began, as a single mom, I began to think, what if something happens? How am I going to, you know, what am I going to do? And so that's where all of that came from. The spiritual aspect and what makes it so important is we are here in this reality, living this life. Things are going to happen. And if we can have some tips and ideas and ways of lessening, uh, you know, the damage that can be done during any kind of an emergency, why not? Ways to help our families, our children, ways to help our neighbors if we're at work when something happens. So, yes, there may be life after death. And, yes, there may be 25 million other parallel universes that you are in. But, of course, you're not consciously aware of. You're here now. So, you're going to have fires, floods, earthquakes, tornadoes, blizzards, shooters. You know, I think there was another shooting yesterday. Uh, you're going to have medical emergencies. You're going to have... You'll be out camping and a bear will approach. Do you know what to do to to survive, you know, to at least increase the the chances of survival and of getting through things intact? So that's why that book has been so important for me. 
I want to know, you know, how can I save myself, my son, my family, my sister lives next door, you know, my neighbors, the ones you like at least, and just really feel like you're going to be part of the solution in an emergency and not part of the problem. Right. And, you know, kind of my theory, too, about these natural disasters, it's like when you look at what comes out of them, it's almost like we can't, if we are a consciousness, maybe trying to evolve closer to uh, love, let's say, than fear, um, we can't, in order for us to get there, we can't avoid these disasters because what comes of these disasters of these hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, earthquakes is community, is love. Is yeah. people reaching out? It's people taking care of other people. It's, you know, our military coming together. We're providing food. We're providing shelter. We're kind of rebuilding. And this whole humanity usually comes from these horrible disasters. Isn't that and, something? And that yeah. is a real spiritual theory, you know, that I that I think about and wonder about is there's so much negativity and we know energy has power. It, it definitely has influence on our manifest reality. So if you have a lot of negative energy being put out there, are these disasters mother nature's way of shaking off some of that and saying, Oh, you know, this is so imbalanced people. We got to bring back some of that good energy. So I am going to shake you up and rattle your cages to get you back to a point of love and community. And it almost seems like it's, you know, it's increasing because look at the hostility. I mean, the, oh my gosh, the open hostility that is all over the news, all over social networking, which was originally designed to bring people together. Mm-hmm. Now you have people judging each other for every little thing, the sniping, the hostility, the meanness. So are these disasters ways of trying to bring back a little bit of balance by you guys? I got to, you know, I've got to do something to bring you all together. You're not going to like it, but you are leaving me no choice. Because if we continuously put out one type of energy, it is going to come back to us in some form. And so that, you know, that could be why we are experiencing a lot of these major emergencies and disasters yeah it's it's a lot to question it's a lot to think about i think i also heard i don't know if this is true it might have been something in passing of like a conspiracy theory that like the weather is actually controlled um by governments have you heard that well now there's conspiracy theories and there's also the scientific aspect of it again as a geophysicist uh-huh. My father knew back in the 1970s about geoengineering. And already at that point, there were discussions in the scientific community of the need to, uh, you know, climate change is coming and pollution and, and aerosols and all of that stuff that happened in the 70s and 80s that we're going to need a way to modify the weather possibly. So there's the scientific aspect of it that is very visible. I mean, you can go, you know, get this research online. It's not being hidden. And then there's the conspiracy element, which I also, you know, give a little bit of credence to because it's my belief that anytime the government gets involved, you're not going to be told the whole story about what they're doing. Um, chemtrails, my gosh, they're, they're all over where I am in the city that I live in. Many years ago, when my son was a baby, we 
Uh, I was talking out on the phone out on my back patio, and there were planes spraying something. And we're not, we were not in an agricultural area. We were in a residential area. And we had white powder fall on us. And from that point on, my son and I got really sick, and so did a bunch of my neighbors. Allergy type, you know, respiratory. So when I see that the um, allergies, asthma, respiratory diseases, autoimmune, all of that stuff is increasing, it does make you wonder. I don't know that there's a little group that wants to destroy the world, but there's, you know, there definitely is more to the story than just, oh my gosh, we need to offset the, the chaotic, more extreme weather conditions that we're dealing with. Right. So yeah. interesting. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you could really go down the rabbit hole on that one, yeah. though. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. And there are some people that, you know, believe in other people say, nope, chemtrails are not, they don't exist. It's not true. Not real. Yeah. I think you get both extremes need to be stayed. You kind of got to find that point in the middle where you're right. getting, okay, there's this information from this side. There's this information from that side. Hmm, okay, there's something going on here. I have no clue, but <laughs> yeah. Well, Marie, I really enjoyed our conversation, and thanks for just letting it allow to flow in whatever direction it needed to today. It was just oh, great to be you. able to tap into your experience and and your own mind and your thoughts about <laughs> some of these things. So, um, thank would you. you. Would you like to let our listeners know where they can find more information about you and your books? Absolutely. So my website is www.mariedjones.com. I am on social networking. <laughs> um, Facebook, Marie D. Jones author, Instagram, Marie D. Jones, LinkedIn, you name it. Um, we writers have to be everywhere. We're forced to promote our work, unfortunately. <laughs> right, right. Um, but yeah, and, and people can email me at info at mariedjones.com. Excellent. Well, thank you. You were an amazing guest on our show. And uh, thanks for being a part of the Path Loving Podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it very much. If you want more information about our films, visit our website, path11productions.com, to purchase DVDs or to rent and stream each film. You can also find our trilogy of films on iTunes, Amazon Prime, and Gaia.com. You can still use our smartphone app for both Android and iPhones. Just search for Path 11 in the Google Play App Store, or if on an iPhone, look for Path 11 in the iOS App Store. Catch you next time. Thank you.